Welcome to the Motherhood Anthology Podcast, photography education for a business you love. My name's Kim Box, and I'm your host with the collaboration and help of my co-hosts and business partners at the Motherhood Anthology, Jenny Kruger and Allison Craig. Welcome back to part two of Blueprint, our completely free three-day workshop taking place October 23rd through the 25th. During Blueprint, we teach how to establish a thriving motherhood photography business by building on the big three pillars of business success, branding, marketing, and pricing. This series is a tiny bit different than what you're used to on the podcast. Instead of one episode this week, you will get three episodes that correspond with a guide we've provided those who registered for this free workshop. There's still time to register if you've not already. Simply go to themotherhoodanthology.com, click sign me up at the bottom of the homepage next to the word blueprint. In yesterday's episode and part one of this mini series, we talked all about branding. You can still go back and listen to that episode whenever it's most convenient for you. For this episode, we're going to tackle the next pillar of business success, marketing. This episode gets a little nitty gritty as we discuss website, text, layout, SEO, and images. We also dive into social media and email newsletters, plus much more. So now I present to you episode number 55 and part two of Blueprint on the Motherhood Anthology podcast. So yesterday we talked a lot about overall brand, visual branding, brand in general, and then for us, we really feel like you have to know those things inside and out to market well. So today we're going to chat about marketing. A lot of your pre-questions in the group were a lot about SEO, a lot about like just getting clients, which obviously that is the goal of marketing is getting your name out there and making people want to hire you. <laughs> there is a lot of different moving pieces to marketing. Marketing is so, so many different things. And from our experience, like we kind of focus on the things that have helped our businesses the most. That's what we know and have found to be the most successful. So we're going to kind of touch on most of those things, um, go over those and then jump in with questions. We can go from there. So first of all, website and SEO. I'm going to let Allison talk a little bit more about SEO in general, but website in general, once someone gets to your website, that is often the first first impression of your brand. So that is so important that it is ideal and has a clear and simple mes- message and is exactly what you want them to see. So the good news is you get to choose all that. The bad news is it's really hard to <laughs> narrow that down and perfect it and do it really well. So it's really important though. I think that going back to the website, I just redid mine recently. And my goal in doing that was to like give a clear and concise message, but also clear and concise information and making it super user-friendly so that they are not getting lost or wondering where they are or get frustrated not being able to like find information. One thing too, and Jenny and I say this all the time, people don't like to read. So if you put a, you know, a big block paragraph about yourself on there, they're probably not going to read it. And it's probably just the waste of your time. So looking a little bit deeper into your website, you know, ask yourself in the most non-biased way possible, if you landed there, would you be able to find what you're looking for with just a couple clicks? And is does your website also represent the work that you deliver and what you share on social media? Because so often I see a disconnect there when I go and, you know, a photographer will say like, I need help with, I'm not getting clients. And so then I look at the Instagram and I look at the website and it looks like two totally different 
people. So that goes back to your branding. As far as SEO, me and Jenny were just saying it's changed so much over the years. We used to be able to just create blog posts that say, you know, Houston newborn photographer, and then their last name, and then that would help. But it's not quite that easy anymore or simple. You need to make sure that, you know, you have alt tags on your images, that they're sized correctly. You need to look and make sure that like you have H1s, H2s, H3s, H4s, all of them listed out. That's going to tell Google how to crawl your website and that ultimately like it, it helps Google know what keywords you're wanting to rank for. And as far as blog posts, it's changed a little bit, right? Like it's better to do one really good, high quality blog that has outbound links and links within your website and is keyword rich and actually gives really good information to a potential client versus just doing blog after blog after blog of just whatever. Like I used to do like glimpses and all of that. And, you know, it, at least for me, like whenever we looked back over previous blog posts, they, you know, there's tons that have zero clicks. And so technically it's a waste of time, right? Like you're writing a blog post and no one's clicking. And so there's, it's pointless to do that. So when you're looking at your SEO, that can absolutely help with marketing. And so you have to make sure that you're just doing it right the first time. I'm going to jump in and tell you that I am super resistant to to switch my SEO over. So part of what we were talking about right before we started was that that's kind of how we learned to do it and how it was successful. It actually, it did work when we were first starting, even up through recent years. And so for SEO purposes, no, you don't necessarily need to do that anymore. And yes, it may be harmful, but there's other reasons to blog and share too. So I know Allison and I both feel the same way about this is like, if you are wanting, anybody can grab out a few images for your portfolio from a session that are like either lucky shots, great images, but then the rest of the session doesn't look anything like that. So for me, it's always been really important to blog for SEO, which that's lower on the list now because that's changed like we just talked about, but also blog to show more of the full sessions. And if you are going to have a blog, I like the idea of a regular schedule, whether that's maybe once or twice a month now, just because you don't have to do it so much for SEO, or it's still once or twice a week. It just shows a client, potential client, that you are consistent and busy and a working photographer. The worst thing that I see when I go to someone's website and they're like, I'm not getting any inquiries. I don't know what's wrong. And their last blog post is two months ago or six months ago or three years ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, but you need to put, if you were going to have a blog, which I do think that you should, there's arguments to not also, but if you're going to have it, you have to use it to its fullest extent, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also just, just a little side note there it's, it's known that Kim, Jenny, myself, we've been doing this for a long time. And so many SEO experts will say, yeah, maybe they're not technically doing it correct, but because they have so much foundation already built and they're established, they don't have to always keep up with the new things because Google knows that people want to see them in the search results. So, you know, if you go to 
a established photographer's page and you see them doing it differently than what is the common, that might just be why, because, you know, you don't fix what isn't broken type of thing. I was just going to say that. I've had SEO experts literally tell me that they're like, you are doing this wrong now for future, but if we change it, you might take a hit. And I'm like, nope, leave it alone. So that's a, that's a problem for future me. Michelle just asked, how do you know, how would you see if people are clicking on the blogs? Like, how do you see that to know which blogs? So are I have something called SEMrush. It's a monthly subscription. It's a little bit pricey, but I'm able to basically look at that and see how many people are reading the blogs, how many, <clears throat> how many clicks I've had on them in the past year. So what we did is we recently looked at, we pulled up all the blogs that have had zero clicks over the last year and we deleted all of them. It was 350 something blogs or more, maybe more. And so we did that because those blogs were like Houston newborn photographer, um, spring session or Houston family photographer or newborn photography, Houston. It was you, they were using all of the keywords that I wanted my main website to rank for. And so if they're constantly competing, but they're not getting clicks, then it's keyword cannibalization and it's not doing you any, any well, any good. So we deleted those. And within like four days, my ranking had gone up. And that's the second time I've done that. The first time was when I first, very first optimized my website for SEO. And I got rid of all the, all of the blogs that I wasn't doing correctly. So I think that, you know, for me personally, I would look at any blog posts that don't represent your brand and I would get rid of them unless they have backlinks or clicks. And then I would also, there's a plugin, uh, what is it called? It's called SEO meta. And it's a Chrome plugin, and you can use that to see and ensure that every single web page that you are using has H1s, H2s, H3s, alt tags, all everything. Because there are so many websites that I go to, and they have nothing, none of it. And they've just had their website designed by someone professional. So that's a really easy way to make sure that you don't that you don't need to go in there and just edit some things real quickly. So Allison, if someone hadn't been paying attention to SEO at all. They're start starting from scratch. Uh-huh. What What's the first thing to do? Give us like a, the top one yeah. or three things that they need to go in and look at and fix. So the first thing that I would do is download that SEO meta uh, plugin. And that's a real quick way to go through all of your pages on your website, not posts, pages and make sure that every single page has a keyword or keywords, well, one keyword per page, and then has H1s, H2s, H3s, and all your images have descriptions to them. And then- Can you explain what H1s, H2s are? We've got a couple of questions that are asking what even are those? Yes. So it's sort of, you have to think of it like a ranking system, right? So my H1 for my homepage is Houston newborn photographer. And then H2, let me just not even make anything up. I'll just tell you what it is. H2 would be Allison Craig. Another H2 would be what we photograph. And then an H3 would be maternity, newborn, baby, family. So it's like a ranking system of how Google sees that page and like the importance of texts. And, and where, do those, where do those keywords come from? How do you know? So that so that's another thing. You have to do your keyword research for where you are. And 
Um, I do that through SEMrush as well, but it allows you to see the volume for the keyword. So you could know if you want to go after that keyword. So the volume for Houston newborn photographer might be 340 searches a day. And so I want to capture a percentage of that. So I've optimized my main page to be Houston newborn photographer. And then all of the H2s, H3s support that keyword. So you don't want to have, you know, a page that is Houston family photographer, but then also Houston baby photographer, because Google's not going to know what to rank you for. You need to have one keyword per page and then go in and... I guess it depends on your website, but for me, when I'm writing stuff, I just literally click on the text and tell my website if I want it to be H1, et cetera. It's a lot, <laughs> but it, but it helps. So I would, okay, there's a lot of questions. Where do you find that? How, where do you do the keyword uh, research? Number one. And then somebody asked, what is the uh, blank rush? So it's SEMrush and that's Sem where rush. you you can see all of the rankings for things. Yes. So like yes. Allison sent me one for my area that showed me like I was ranking one or two for newborn photographer Period. all over. And I, <laughs> I sent you a message. I was like, I think Kelly did this wrong. Like That's yeah. not possible. And she was yeah. like, no, it is. So it tells you literally what your ranking is for all possible like uh, related kind of keywords and then where you where you rank and then the number of searches. Right. So say I rank number one for Nashville newborn photographer, then it will also say like how many people a day or whatever it is are searching that term. So right. I can it'll, say it, it's called volume. So it'll say yeah. the volume for that keyword might be 350 searches per day. And of that, Jenny is capturing. 12%, which means that when they search that 12% of them are clicking through to her website. So it really helps with, you know, like there's no point in, if you're starting from scratch, there's no point in blogging, just to blog, you need to be intentional, which means knowing what keywords are actually being searched in your area so that you can use those on your website. And then, you know, also potentially use them in posts somehow. So yeah. back to what Kim said, Kim like, said, if you're just starting out, I would absolutely ensure that all your keywords and your headers, like the H1s, H2s are correct on your website. And also this is really basic, but make sure that your location is on your homepage as well. There's a lot of people that don't have that. And that's huge for Google knowing they're in Houston or they're in Nashville or Montgomery. So do that. And I want to... and. Adding to using, I see a lot of probably newer photographers in our community using motherhood as a keyword. And, you know, but it's not search. Your city motherhood, but people aren't searching that. So if you go to my website or Allison's website, while that sounds great and that perfectly describes what we do, that's not what we're using for our keywords because that's not what people are searching. Right. It's the same so, thing with like a petite session. Like I offer petite sessions, but I don't call them petite sessions. I do in my like H3 stuff like that, but my H1 is a mini session because that's what they're searching. And there's zero point in me even spending time creating a page that talks about petites because it's not going to be searched at all. Like that's not, that's a me term. That's not a them term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You almost have to like, this sounds terrible, but dumb it down. So we get into all of this special language perfected for our brand, but for SEO purposes. 
the simpler, the better, and the more local to you and whatnot, the better. Somebody asked how important is the actual text in the blog post? So <laughs> and it, I'm probably it, the worst to answer for that. Yeah, to answer that. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important. And yeah. the whole post with the whole idea with a blog, at least from what I have read and understood is that your blog is supporting your website. It's not competing with it. So, you know, while my pages are Houston newborn photographer, Houston baby photographer, Houston maternity photographer, a blog post might be five places to go for your last date night before baby. That's going to support maternity and get people there. And it's going to actually give them content that they might want to read. Like someone in Houston might be searching for date night ideas or whatever, and they land there. So that's the idea behind a blog is that it's not competing with your website. It's supporting it just with different content that actually helps them. Like they can come to your website to see pretty pictures, but why are they coming to your blog and how can you get them to stay? Somebody asked about investing in SEO when just starting out, like, should you pay somebody to do it? And then also there was a question about, would you run ads to said blog posts? If you're just starting from scratch again, would you consider running ads to the blog? I've personally never paid for Google ads, any of that. So I lean towards no. I would work really hard just to get that organic search So I did, so when I was just starting out, obviously I didn't know anything about websites SEO, so I didn't do anything for a while, but I did take a local course about like to kind of like DIY my website myself. I would say if you are just starting out and uncomfortable doing any of that, you definitely can pay people. We work with Corey with Fuel Your Photos a lot. Melissa in our membership groups does a lot of SEO. She is a very helpful. She will go through your website and kind of give you an overview of hey, these are issues I see, or you could change this and she can help you do all of that. So if I were starting out or wanting to totally redo my SEO and fix everything, I would probably reach out to her because there's a lot you can do on your own, but you also don't have to. And if you just, if it's way over your head, um, you can outsource that too. <laughs> So like we were saying up front, your website is basically the visual extension and representation of your brand. I think there was a stat, Kim, do you remember this? That it was how many seconds that a potential inquiry lands on your website before they decide to keep looking and maybe contact you or click out. It's less than 10 seconds, I think. Yeah. I want to say three to five seconds, actually. Yeah super fast. So if your header, if basically your first literally three seconds that someone is spending on your site, maybe a half a scroll down the page is not capturing them and is not making a really, really great impression. And it kind of goes back to branding. Like that great impression needs to be number one, really beautiful and well thought out, but also different than any other website. If you think about somebody Googling and clicking on the top five spots, on the first page of Google and your website either doesn't stand out, isn't up to date, isn't the work that they're looking for. So make sure the work and what you're showing is really specific to who you want to attract and also isn't different than any of the other websites. They're going to just either scroll on by, click right out, not really care. You really want them to hit your website and be like, oh my gosh, I need to contact this person. And then also making it simple for them to want to hire you and find you, make your contact button simple, 
So Jenny, so, yeah. as far as like website is it, what, what do you think needs to be like, what's the most important thing? Are there things that absolutely need to be on the homepage? So homepage, again, knowing that people don't read, (laughs) their attention span is very, very short in general. Just everyone's attention span is short, but also, you know, that first impression, those first few seconds, you've got that going for you. Your header images, what that looks like, basically before they even scroll that first, um, I want to say the first look window kind of before they move anywhere on your website needs to be very, very attention grabbing. So like tagline images are important, things like that, like that really make you stand out. And then one thing that I've learned and that I see a lot of people don't do is making the text and the content all about your client versus all about you. Like you want your client to be the um, if you've read the story brands or anything like that, the hero of your story, not you. So unless it's for your about, and even that can keep it simple. Like don't use a lot of eyes or me's or we's it's all about them and what you are doing for them. And so they can see it from that perspective. So in terms of actual things that you want to have on your website that I think are important, when I go <laughs> to a photographer's website, I want to see obviously great homepage location everywhere. So many people forget that. (laughs) Easy contact. So a contact up in a menu and header, but also like sprinkled throughout so they can be reading, 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 contact you, contact the bottom portfolio. We had a discussion in the membership recently about people are designing websites that professional website designers that don't think you need a portfolio on your website. (laughs) I highly disagree with that. Like I think a portfolio showing either if you just do one or two things, like showing your top best in those and a representation of what that session is going to be like is really important. Or if you do multiple kinds of sessions, split it up into like, so mine has maternity, newborn, baby and child, and then family. Obviously there are some crossover because all of my maternity sessions, if you have a partner or older children, they're included in that. So those could go kind of either way, but just to kind of separate them out and show the best of the best. And so they can get a good representation of what your work's work looks like. Keeping that updated. I hear a lot that like people are saying, I don't have time to update my website. And they're maybe updating their portfolio once a year or every few years, and then wondering why people aren't booking them. You just want to make sure there's absolutely no disconnect in what you are saying your brand is and saying your work is and what your website shows. About website content and blog content in general, how long of an archive do you recommend having? If you've been in business, say for, I've been in business for 12 years, would you recommend that I should have a archive going all the way back? Or should I only keep it fresh with the last two recent years to keep everything very up to date? So this is going to be kind of one of those depends answers. And only because we were kind of talking about like, I don't want to delete anything and hurt SEO, but you can also delete things that might be currently hurting your SEO. So take away the SEO part of that and just talk like thinking about from a content standpoint, I think as long as what you are showing fits what you currently want to shoot and can produce. I've been in business 12 years too. And there are things from my first few years of business that I definitely would not want 
anywhere on my website or to be found. So I'm totally fine with wiping those off. I actually had a website issue four years ago where I lost my entire website, every blog post from the past eight years, all of that stuff. So that kind of made that decision for me. It really sucked at the time, but I got rid of all of that. And once I built a new website and had my SEO back up and running, it's been fine since. So I don't necessarily think you have to have a decade of past work on your website to be successful because I don't have that. It's gone. Does that make sense? Cool. cool. Okay. okay. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on from websites. Let's move on to, I think next we have social media and specifically Instagram. That's what we have found the most success with, but this could be applied to pretty much any kind of social media. So if you have great success with your Facebook page, you can, you know, take into account these things for that too. So for Instagram specifically, just remember that when someone clicks to your account, they're really going to just get that glimpse, right? Those top nine images in your grid, maybe. So whenever you're posting, keep that in mind. But again, consistency, the more consistent you can be overall from your brand into your marketing is going to help you the most. So tags are important using local hashtags, kind of the same we talked about with SEO. Nobody down the road from you that needs a newborn photographer is Googling, you know, Atlanta fine art motherhood photographer. And while that is, again, great, they're just not Googling that. So it's not going to help you get clients to your page or to your Instagram. So using hashtags that are, you can type in a hashtag and see how many people are using it. And if it's one person, you know that nobody's really like searching for that and using that. So don't use those. If they're also too broad, that's not good either. You don't need to capture the global newborn photographer sector of Instagram, right? You want somebody local. So put yourself in the client's mindset of, okay, I need a newborn photographer or family photographer, whatever. I'm going on Instagram. What am I going to search for? Like, what are they looking for? And always keep that in the back of your mind. Your Instagram bio definitely needs to have your location. So many of those don't have those. I have no idea where you all are, but that's always a big one. A link to your website. And I just saw something recently about, and I've always felt this way personally, but I know there's been back and forth on this about using third-party links in as your link in your Instagram. And so if you really don't want to point them directly to your website, make an Instagram page on your website that has like a list of kind of where you want to direct them to go versus like a link tree or something like that, because Instagram's starting to count those as spam or something about that. I read it yesterday. And so I have always like rather would have wanted to point them to my website anyway, if that makes sense. So I would suggest that kind of like a little tagline about what you do, who you are in your bio. Again, from the perspective of your client. So what are you doing for them? Not like I love coffee and friends. That doesn't help them really get to know you because that could be literally anybody, but also they don't care when they're looking to hire a business. They just don't care. What else? On your social media, don't just post in your grid and your stories and your reels, just client image after client image, kind of vary it up. So like 
One of the strategies is to pick your main things. So for me, those are obviously client images that is important to show. And in that section, indoor, outdoor images, I post product images. I sometimes post branded graphics that I've made. And so kind of like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but coming up with a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a kind of a schedule of things. So it's like you're dotting those all in somewhere versus just post after post after post of here's a session, here's a session, here's a session. It kind of just makes it more visually interesting. And again, is a good way to share your brand versus just your images in general. And then Allison is really good at this one, using your stories to kind of like be more personal and get your audience to just a little more casual and like infuse your personality into that. So whether that's coming on stories and chatting about something funny or whatnot, or just putting yourself in your stories. Yeah. Katie from the group, Katie Lamb from our group, she does, she does a great job of talking about other things besides photography that are very interesting. She does a lot of home renovation, interior design. Like Mm -hmm. I love seeing that sort of stuff, you know, that it, it gives people another reason to be interested in you. Yeah. And it just, it can get so boring just to be like, here's client images, here's client images and stories, which I think we all can be guilty of doing because it's obviously easy to do that. But if you are feeling like your Instagram or social media marketing is not working right now, like the best it can work for you, then start thinking about incorporating those other things. What's the best way to use email marketing for motherhood, newborn and family photography? And Jenny, I think you, I love your, your email. Talk a little bit about how you use your email list to market to your clients. So up until Kim found us Flowdesk, which she, it was like brand new. And she was like, let's use this for the motherhood anthology um, and started sending out those emails. And I was like, wow, those are really pretty. Okay. I can get on board with that. I started using that because I've tried to use things like MailChimp. Anyways, they're like really cumbersome to use. They're not like user-friendly and they're just not that pretty. So I would always try to start an email list, say that I was going to send out monthly emails and it never happened until Flowdesk. So we absolutely love Flowdesk. I use that. Kim uses that for TMA. I use that for my business. And I, again, like said, I was going to send out monthly emails and I do try to keep that. Some months I would skip a month and then some months there might be two if it's an email. Like I had a session last night that got rescheduled because they were sick. So I sent an email to my email list right away saying like, hey, last minute opening for an outdoor session this year. They're all booked. It's going to be nice out. Hair and makeup's already booked. So that's available. So I sent that. That was not my monthly email, but I used it to like blast that out. Otherwise, I think monthly for our businesses, for a photography business emailing to clients, once a month or even once every two months is plenty. You just want to use it to number one, announce things or like um, give them info, but also just stay top of mind for them. And like Allison was saying with blogs, like use it as something of value that they look forward to. So put something actually helpful in that email, put links that are helpful to them. Like, Hey, you might want to know this. You might want to do this. You might want to buy this. Just anything that your ideal client would get in their inbox and be like, I don't want to delete this. I'm looking forward to getting this and keeping it simple, keeping it branded, things like that. But I remember, 
you include things that are interesting that may not be exactly photography related. Like, don't you, didn't you do a holiday newsletter with like a recipe and maybe some of your favorite things? And I think that might've been Allison. I know I did like around Mother's Day, like a kind of Mother's Day wish list. Here are things that I either have and am loving, recently bought and love or want that are on my wish list. So like you can incorporate your personality and style into that and give them something other than just constantly trying to get them to book a session. So if you're just always like, sell, 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 they're going to be like, wow, this is just spammy and annoying. And that doesn't help me. Whereas if it's like, here, I'm serving giving you something. Them. Yeah. Serving them through that email, through all of your, you know, website, social media, email lists, all of that. I think they're more receptive to number one, not unsubscribing, actually reading them. And then when they do need a session, they're like, oh, love this person. Yeah, if you don't know about Flowdesk, go check it out because they make those forms and uh, emails really beautiful and branded. And back to the topic yesterday about transitioning from weddings to um, motherhood, like what a great way just by getting your folks on your email list and kind of sharing things with them. Okay. Melissa asked about how an email list could benefit somebody that does maternity only. It's not worthwhile since those people won't stay pregnant forever. No, but you probably have lots of clients who are having more than one baby. And even though you only do maternity, you could still serve them with life things after having a baby, right? And then maybe for their next baby, they would come back to you. And their friends are probably, yeah, they're probably having babies too. So yeah. Yeah. Do at all clients kind of already answered that. How do you attract potential clients to subscribe? So you can put Flowdesk also does this where you have a nurture sequence and give them something once they sign up. So for me, when people sign up on my website as a potential client, they're going to get added to that list. And then I have a email that automatically goes out to them that has helpful information about, I think mine is like how to choose your photographer or something like that and helpful things for them. So like you can say, sign up for my email list and get this when you do and give them something that's helpful to them. If you're looking for some way to serve people as you're gathering them to be on your newsletter, one thing that has really been helpful for me is I put together a guide on how to photograph your kids with a cell phone. And giving them tips and tricks. And you can even, like, I even went as far as creating pre like cell phone presets for Lightroom because so many people have that now since it's just like a mobile thing. Um, And so that's a really good way to get people to opt in and also giving them something that they'll really love and use. Yeah. Sharing resources and advice when you're not a mother to motherhood clients. I, I kind of am of the mind at this point in my motherhood journey. I have a 13 year old and eight year old. I don't really want to share any parent scene advice, but so I would say if, whether you're a mom or not a mom, maybe don't do that either way, but I think you can share resources or other people's parenting or motherhood things. Like I share things from like pediatrician accounts all the time to my thing. I'm not a pediatrician, but this is good information as a mom, as somebody working with kids, things like that. You can share good resources, but I wouldn't you know, give your parenting advice. But again, whether you're a mom or not, I wouldn't really do that unless it's like a funny thing, you know? 
Does that make sense? So I know you you both have been in business for a while, but thinking back, what do you think was the most effective thing you did to market your business? Oh, you had to, yeah. What's the one thing that stands out? Um, I was going to say, I feel like no one's going to like this answer, but I think for both of us, SEO has been number one and continues to be number one in like how we get new clients and like how we got the ball rolling. Instagram didn't exist when I started and started becoming successful. So that wasn't even a thing. I think maybe like it just started. It wasn't at all for businesses though. Like it had no benefit. So I know that's not helpful to hear because that's like a slow it's a really concrete thing you can do, but it also is not overnight, but I don't feel like anything is truly overnight. If you are like going from absolutely nothing to overnight, I have all these clients. I'm going to tell you, you're probably not charging enough. I will say too that. So, well, I don't know. I mean, SEO, so SEO hundred percent and, and you also like, that's yours. You, you own your website. Whereas we don't own our account on Instagram. It could be gone tomorrow. And so to put too many eggs in one basket, I don't feel like is a good thing. That being said, Jenny, you'll remember this whenever Instagram did first start and it got like businesses started joining it. I got way more inquiries from Instagram than Jenny did because we're in two different places in the United States. So my ideal client in Houston happened to be hanging out on Instagram way more than her ideal client in Nashville. And so I think really, truly just getting to know where your ideal client is hanging out is, is helpful to know what to focus on because I was putting way more effort and energy into Instagram early on because I realized that's where my people were were looking for a photographer. Whereas like that, I don't feel like that caught on in Nashville for at least a year or two. Right. Yeah. It was probably at least a year, if not more after you were like, I'm getting all these inquiries from Instagram. And I'm like, what? Like my, none of my clients are on Instagram, like yours. I feel like the Houston market was an early adopter. Instagram and my market was not. Now I would say I get way more Instagram inquiries than ever before. SEO, I still think my Google inquiries are better and more likely to book than my Instagram ones. Mm -hmm. But aside from website SEO, Google, and social media, I know a lot of people asked about networking with local businesses. And that's another one that just getting your, not even so much to like get clients in the moment when you're doing those things, but it helps to just get your brand recognition out there. So for me, I get referrals from people that I've never even heard of or worked with before, like other businesses or other photographers, a lot of wedding photographers that I've never heard of, but they're like, you should, their client is having a baby and they don't do newborns. And so they're like, you need to go to Jenny. She's the best in Nashville, whether that's true or not. That is what my brand has put out there and told all of these other vendors. And like, so if you're looking for that partnering and getting to know in a genuine way and having relationships with wedding photographers, basically photographers that don't do the same thing you do so that you can pass people back and forth that way. I have partnered with doulas before. And actually don't think that our ideal client is kind of the same at this point. I thought so at first. 
um, which is why I've done it. But like that, just again, anything you can do to help get your name and brand out there, things like that. Yeah. Someone said about SEO and proximity to a big city or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would it be helpful if you are um, new to an already saturated market? And would it be better to target my SEO to a small town? So So I was just going to say, I think everybody would say that they're in an already saturated market. So take that out of the equation because I don't think any photographer would say that's not an issue for them. And I always think marketing to a bigger town is better. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, whenever I first did my SEO, I focused on Sugarland. And then I quickly realized, wait, why am I focusing on Sugarland when Houston is right there? So then I had to redo it. So I think that if you are close to a big city and there is a chance that people can drive to you, then absolutely market to the big city. Yeah. Let's chat about like referrals and repeat clients for a bit, because I know we're kind of coming up on time and I know there was a referral question. Yes. For me, hands down, the best thing that I did for my business in terms of like marketing and getting more sessions outside of SEO and outside of social media is creating a membership, which is my version of like a first year or baby plan. Because I went into, had a really great fall one year, like early on in my business and thought, dang, I am making the money. I have made so much money this year and I did great spend a lot of money because, you know, it's the end of the year and you're like, oh, should spend some money on things to get those tax benefits. And then January came and I had $400 in my business bank account and I had one session booked and I thought, oh my God, I am totally screwed. (laughs) So from there, the best thing I ever did was create a membership baby plan so that I would not go into another January, February, first quarter that didn't have sessions pre-booked. And that just helped because I shoot the things that I do. It's not, besides family sessions outside in the fall, it's not very seasonal. And so babies are born the same year round. People are pregnant the same year round. So if I could get them into a membership so that they're doing multiple, they're committing to multiple sessions with me in that year to year and a half, mine is 18 months, but That was hands down the biggest thing. And then also I could get an inquiry and book one client, but that translated to up to four sessions. So I was just telling my husband, like last week I booked three memberships and I hadn't booked anything in the week before that. So it's like, that doesn't sound great, right? But those three memberships are potentially 12 sessions over the next year or so. That's been huge for my business. I agree. It's, it's. It's something that allows consistent work without like you put in the effort on the front end, but then after that, it's just following up with them and ensuring that they're taking advantage of their membership to the fullest, you know, ability. And yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times you'll hear photographers say January, February, March, that's the slower Mm -hmm. quarter, but I mean, I think I already have six sessions scheduled for when I fly back in January and that they're all memberships, all of them. And it's just that allows that consistent work where you're not scrambling for those single sessions. You're able to do an audit and then reach out to people and be like, Hey, it's time for a sitter session. I bet she's sitting up. When do you want to schedule that? And then you've got a session. Yeah. So 
Martha, I do discount my time slash creative fee. So do I. Right now, my creative fee is $475 and my membership fee is $900. And so that includes up to four sessions. So if you want to do basically more than one session, you're better off doing a membership. So even if they only want to utilize two sessions in their membership, they can totally do that. I would rather they use them all, but they don't have to. So they do save on those creative fees, but my pricing for files and products after each session stays the same. So they're buying that for every session. And that's where really I'm making the most of my money. I'm not um, discounting my creative fee a little bit to get multiple sessions out of one client, which is what I prefer is fine with me. I would rather work with repeat clients. Right. Like that, that's what I was going to say is we always talk about, the, I mean, just the benefits of working with repeat clients throughout the year versus having to go through the effort of meeting a new family and walking them through the experience like that. That's time that, that you spend on that and not mm-hmm. saying that, you know, they're paying you for it, but from a, I mean, I'm extroverted and it's still so nice to have those repeat clients over and over again that I get to know versus having new clients 24 seven that you're working with. Yeah. And I just, I send one welcome box to a membership. So that's, you know, saving money there. They're just, honestly, I love most of my repeat clients are amazing. So if they continue, I have clients on their second and third memberships. So like if they continue to do that, it's just so much easier. That benefit is totally outweighs the small discount. Yes. It's $900 for four sessions versus one session for four seventy five because I would rather they book a membership even if they only do two sessions so they could use just maternity and newborn if they wanted to from it. We we don't sell contracts because we're not lawyers. <laughs> so you definitely don't want any kind of contract that we would make up. Rachel Brinke, I think is how you say her name, the law tag definitely sells legit contracts. And you can also have a local lawyer look it over or just make one for you. Yeah. You definitely want to be covered so that if they don't, like my $900 is a non-refundable fee to enroll in the membership. So that is your membership enrollment and covers your creative fees, which are all non-refundable like retainers. So if you don't use it, that's fine. It says in there that they don't all have to be used, but you're not getting a refund for that (laughs) if you don't use them. It's up to four sessions. Did you say how long they have to use those? So mine is 18 months from their first session. So mine's like 13. So it's just like another way to do a baby plan or first year plan without having to start with a baby. Yeah. Can I just ask about the referral? Do you guys ever do referrals like from past clients for new clients? I've tried something like that and it hasn't really caught on. I'm feeling like maybe it's just not, I guess for the luxury, I feel like they just kind of look at it and they're like, oh, that's silly. I don't want to pass that on. Do you think that it's more ideal for them to just do a word of mouth because they like you rather than giving them an incentive? Or have you guys found a way to make that work? Yeah, a hundred percent. So my referrals is not a strict program. I don't say anything about what you're getting if you refer somebody, but I've had clients that refer people and I'll just like quietly send flowers or send a Starbucks gift card or something unrelated to what I do. Like I never gift my products or anything, but just even just a handwritten note with a Starbucks card just to say thank you. And I feel like for me, 
I agree. The higher end you go, the less referral programs, like official programs, I feel good about. But I think thanking and encouraging clients to share on their own organically is where the best referrals are going to come from. And I don't want, I honestly don't want a client to book me because their friend gave them a credit or something or benefited in some way on the front end from pushing them to book me. That does not, that doesn't feel good to me. And it's not going to be necessarily an ideal client. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Do you guys feel like you have some things and some tools to tweak in your marketing plans in different areas? We'll see you here tomorrow. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks everybody. Bye y'all. See you tomorrow. This episode was filled with so much great and useful information. I hope you got a lot out of it and feel free to come back and reference as you work through your business marketing. Please join us back here tomorrow as we share part three of Blueprint, which is all about pricing. In the final episode of this series, we talk about pricing, but we also discuss pricing structures, sales methods, and how to calculate your cost of doing business while implementing those findings with the proper mindset. As I mentioned earlier, if you're still listening to this on the date that it airs between October 23rd and 25th, there's still time to join us. Just go to themotherhoodanthology.com and click sign me up at the bottom next to the word blueprint. We'd love to have you.